Cleveland Podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for being with us. Farm to table, locally sourced, handcrafted, carefully curated. It seems that every restaurant says this is how they prepare their food, but our guest today was doing it long before it was trendy. Chef Karen Small helped lead the way here in Northeast Ohio to this approach of cooking at her beloved restaurant, The Flying Fig, which she opened in 1999. The Fig has recently closed, but Karen is not putting away her kitchen tools. In fact, she has two new places ready to go. We're here to talk to Karen about both of those places today on the landscape. Karen, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. How are you? I'm great. Before we talk about all of that, I want you to tell me about your grandparents making bacala when you were a kid and how that led to your interest in food. I ate a lot of bacala when I was a kid. Soaking it in the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody was allowed to bathe for several days before. (laughs) We know bathtub. We did it. We we did it in a uh, like a plastic thing, big plastic container. You'd wash clothes in. It looked like. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother (laughs) would get in there and you know scrub the bathtub. You know scrub it clean and then she'd load it in there it was it was a sight to see all this dried cod floating around in in grandma's bathtub but they truly I mean they certainly were an influence um you know food was always the center of focus in their house and they brought all they brought all their traditions from you know from the Abruzzo region when they came came over so you know it, it was hard not to absorb it because we spent so much time with them but it was just how they lived. You know, they grew their food, they canned their food, they preserved their food, they made their own meat um, or their own sausage. It was it was just a, a daily process in the house. And um, it, it certainly left an impression on me for sure. Did it teach you in part that notion of nothing gets wasted? I remember when my parents, grandparents used to make sausage. They would save the, like the cracklings, you know, and they would then bake them into bread. It was delicious, but it was like most people say, "I'll just throw that away." But oh no, 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 nothing, nothing gets thrown away in a in an Italian household, especially you know a, an immigrant's Italian household. It's uh, they they come with a certain you know set of how they do things, and they're very resourceful. The Flying Fig obviously had a great run. It was a beloved restaurant. Why was now the right time to close it? Um, I mean, I honestly have to say that I, I feel like. The fig had run its course. Um, some people might disagree with me, but I thought I think it needed a, you know, a big facelift. Um, it needed, you know, needed just some change, and I couldn't really figure out to do how to do it within the framework of the fig being open. And you know, the pandemic brought a lot of time to think and a lot of time to figure things out. I guess for all of us and. And I realized that, you know, the fig needed a new challenge and so did I. And so the decision was made oh, probably in August of 21 that, you know, that was that was the path that I needed to go down. Your new breakfast place is called June Berry. It's on Lorraine in Ohio City. It's the old Jack Flaps building. What drew you to that location? Well, once again, um, you know, like, and I don't know if we'll talk about the concept of the fig before this is over, but... Um, it was a concept that I was uh, have been drawn to for years, and it's, you know, it's breakfast and lunch. It's nor, you know, it's small. It's neighborhood oriented, and it's, um, you know, it's sort of comfort food, which I really enjoy preparing. And um, it's, I think, it's really important in a neighborhood to have restaurants like that. Um, we've got lots of really good, good restaurants that are open at night and serve dinner, but 
Um, there's not a whole lot for the daytime. And I think in a neighborhood that that's, that's truly an important part of it. You took this took a minute to get off the ground. You bought the place of space a few years ago. Um, what caused the delays? Was it mostly a COVID thing, or just trying to get? It was, yeah. I mean, when it came available in uh, 2019, I, I jumped on it very, very quickly, and um, yeah, I really thought we had about a four or five month plan to get it open, and and then you know, COVID reared its ugly head, and. Um, it just went on hold. We continued to work on it during the whole process, but there was no way to get it open. They're just, you know, you couldn't get permits, you couldn't get inspections, you couldn't get you know, any of the things you needed to, you know, get get the process all the way done. You're known for having a loyal staff. Did many of them come with you to Flapjacks? Actually, the entire kitchen came. Um, and I, they made the transition so seamless over there that it wasn't even like opening a new restaurant. Um, we brought a couple people from the front of the house, but for the most part, it was just a different style of service. It was a, you know, different, they were making different monies and they were making at the fig there. So, um, we have a couple, a couple great ones that came along, but we've, um, found some really, really terrific people for the front since we've been open. So. So what kind of hours are you keeping for the for? Uh, uh, we are open Tuesday through Saturday right now. Tuesday through Saturday, eight to two. When our liquor license came through, we realized we didn't have Sunday liquor. So um, until that gets solved, uh, we won't be open Sundays except for special occasions. So, but so Tuesday through Saturday, eight to two. People are working from home, obviously, much more than they did in the past. Does that open up the possibility for more people going out to breakfast? Because they have, I don't want to say they have extra time, but your your schedule is a little bit more flexible. Your schedule is more flexible, absolutely. And and we're seeing that. I mean, we see people come in at 8 o'clock, you know, every morning. And whether they're having meetings or they haven't started work yet, people seem to be genuinely interested in coming in early in the morning to, to do this. And lunchtime's been very strong too, which kind of surprises me because I tried to do lunch several times at the fig and it just, it just never got any traction, but you can tell things are a little different now. You know, people can go out for lunch and people do go out for lunch because they are working from home and they don't have to leave their parking place and they don't have to go, you know, it's just, it's just a, a bit of a different environment. I've read that the menu at, at Flapjacks is inspired by some of the time you spent living in Athens. How's that reflected in the food you make? Well, I think, you know, it was a very short drive between my Italian, you know, grandparents to the people of Appalachia when I lived there. And, you know, that I, I fell in love again with how they approached food because everything was grown and everything was local, everything was preserved, everything was treated with the appropriate seasonality. So, I, you know, I just kind of brought that with me along with what I had, you know, kind of experienced with my grandparents. But I, like I say, it was, it was so similar, you know, it was just so similar that I remember a time that I brought my grandfather down there and, you know, I thought he would be able to relate to, you know, this, you know, this whole, the similar things that I was seeing in this area. Uh, he couldn't, but um, he did, you know, it was, it was rather comical at the time, but um, I, I saw, you know, more similarities and differences in, in the way, you know, the two, the two groups approach their, approach life and their food, in particular the food. 
I had the pleasure of interviewing Liddy Bastianich a couple of years ago, and oh. uh, and she talked. We talked about this notion of seasonality. Uh, I, with the, the example we had, we talked about rapini, broccoli rape, and you can uh-huh. get in the store all the time now. I couldn't right. possibly think of it at any time but the spring. You know, like when you when it comes out. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what? I mean, I know it's better. People say, "Well, I can get strawberries all year long," but do you want them all year? No, <laughs> you don't even probably want them when they first hit the farmers markets here because. You know, so many of them are grown undercover and, it, you know, they're not really, they're really not at their peak. I, I actually had a kid who moved here from the Bay Area during, um, during the whole pandemic. And yeah, he, he turns to me constantly. He's like, well, when are the strawberries going to get really good? You know, because they do have a very short, you know, anything has a very short season and you really have to tap into it when it's at its peak. And, you know, we, we as a society have tried to push that a little a little far, I think, at this point. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, sound didactic or anything about it, but I think that, you know, we we want what we want, and we've we've kind of lost lost the beauty of things that you know at their seasonal peak. You waited for asparagus in the spring, right? Oh yeah, and it's almost gone this year. Yeah, I mean, it literally is. I, I mean, people have had such bad weather, you know. The, that it is almost gone, the rains and the winds. And so I know several of my farmer partners were out last week and probably won't have any more. Let's talk about the menu. Tell me about a few of the things. Did you go ahead and make with the breakfast salad? Did you decide to do that? I did. I did. So what's, yeah. in, a breakfast, what's in a breakfast salad? Well, a breakfast salad is, you know, anything you want it to be, but I, I like to incorporate a little bit of grains in there and, and some, you know, seasonal vegetables. And um, I don't want to, you know, give a big heavy dressing. So we just do sort of a light vinaigrette on it. And right now we're finishing it with jammy eggs and and some bacon. And I can't believe how many people eat that at eight o'clock in the morning, but they do. So Ah. it's. um, I saw that there was pickle brine cast iron, uh, cast iron chicken. What's that all mm -hmm. about? Yeah. Well, we take a pickle brine, like a dill pickle brine, and we brine the chicken in it. Um, for 24 hours, and then we uh, bread it, you know, just normal and panko, and and then we drop it in a cast iron pot. Um, we don't have a deep fryer at Juneberry, so any frying that we do is being done in in cast iron pots. And it's, I don't think it's as harsh on the chicken when it's fried that way. And I didn't realize that till you know it was a necessity that we had to do it that way. And I I think I prefer it coming out of the you know, the pot on the stove to the deep fryer now. So now is that used to the pickle brine? Another one of those things where like we have this pickle brine, we should do something with it. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with it after all the pickles are gone, you know, and for so many years you just dumped it or you tried to reuse it. And, you know, some genius came up with brining it at some point. And um, so that's what we're doing. It's uh, and it's, it has a, it has a really great flavor. Karen Small joins us today for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. Karen has just opened Juneberry and preparing to open the Pearl Street Wine Market and Cafe, which we'll talk about. You're using the, the space, Karen, with the old flying fig, and I, that was there for 25 years. Did obviously decide this is still a good location just for something different. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I think the, the location is is great. I, you know, I, I love the neighborhood there. I love the market district. Um, I, I've made so many good friends in that area. So yeah, I think the mar- that whole that whole area is great, and I I anticipate that probably by next year too, that that street's going to be closed down and it's going to just be a pedestrian walkway, which I think is just going to enhance its charm. Um, 
So, yeah, I decided, you know, rather than look for another place and go through, you know, a whole new build out um, that, you know, with a little little thought and a good contractor that we'll just we would just turn turn this space into what we were going to do with it. You are partnering with your friend Jill Davis, who owns Toast, the wonderful wine Absolutely, bar. Absolutely, yeah. Why did you two come upon this concept? I know you guys are close friends. It was some like a long discussion over the years. Did you just say, we ought to try this? Or how did this all work? I think it's been an ongoing discussion. Um, you know, everywhere we go, we both have, you know, this propensity for going, oh, I would love to do that. Oh, this would be so great. You know, this would be, you know, and we, so it's just, it was a cumul- an accumulation of, things that we both were enamored with that came to put this together for uh, Pearl Street. And um, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think there's anything else similar to it right now in the in the area. So I think I think it should be fun. Some neat historical things going on there too. I didn't realize that West 25th was once known as Pearl Street, right? Uh, we didn't either till we were looking for a name. And, um, you know, we said, well, let's go the historical route. So, you know, we the historical, we started looking up the history of Ohio City and, and that came up immediately. Um, I didn't realize that the West Side Market used to be called the Pearl Street Market and that it stood where Market Square Park is now. I think only in the back of my mind did I even realize that Lorraine used to be called Pearl. So yeah, the connection was immediate when we when we heard it, and so that's where we went with it. So, so it was Lorraine that was called Pearl. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, West Twenty Fifth. West Twenty Fifth. West Twenty Fifth. Okay. Not that point. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Lorraine, so, West Twenty Fifth. Pearl Street Wine Market. Obviously, the focus is we're going to be wine. What about the? We'll talk about that in a moment. But what about food items? What are you looking to do there? Well, the food is, you know, it's going to be more than a wine bar and less than a restaurant. If that okay. mean, makes sense to you, it's. It's still going to be very seasonally focused. I don't anticipate, you know, any change in that ethos whatsoever because we're both firmly, firmly behind that. It's it's going to be a lot more casual, but it's going to be substantial enough that you could make a meal out of it. Um, our focus really is trying to get people to try the wines with the food. And, you, you know, so I, we wanted to go a step further than charcuterie boards and cheese boards. And we wanted to make it, you know, something that was a little bit more food friendly than just cheese and meat. So right. I, you know, I, I, I want to get out of the restaurant business per se, but I don't want to lose my connection to food. So this is kind of a happy medium. One of the things you're going to be offering are what are called natural wines. So how is that different than the bottle mm-hmm. of Valpolicella we had yesterday or whatever? Uh, <laughs> it may not be. The Valpolicella you had yesterday might be, you know, might be huh. a natural wine because it really, it's it all it's all to do with the practices and, you know, how the grower is approaching his wines. Usually there are biodynamic ethics involved with it. And I'm especially drawn to the people who are using regenerative farming um, because that's just that's a completely holistic way to run a farm. You know, you you depend on the sheep in the vineyards to to mow the grass so that it doesn't get too high, and they're you know they fertilize as they go along and um, they keep the weeds down. So you know, it's just a whole it's a holistic way of approaching a farm, and each every piece and part of it works together. And when grapes are when grapes are grown in a natural environment, I think 
um, they take on a different a different character than you know more traditionally grown grapes, I guess. Um, usually in those situations, the winemaker, or the proprietor, whichever um, is taking care of it, you know, handles everything minimally. You know, the grapes are brought into the cellar. There's no new new oak used to mask the flavors of the wine. There's very little, if any, sulfur dioxide added, and if so, only at the end. So these wines really have their own personality, and they're um, they're really lively little bottles of fun. Obviously, you're going to be selling wines by the glass, so people can sample more than one type. Do you plan on doing like wine dinners or wine tastings, those kinds of things? Yep, absolutely. Um, we'll be doing wine tastings every weekend. Um, we'll be doing impromptu wine tastings all the time. We'll be offering a wine club with two different levels in it. Uh, there'll be a carve in there, so you're going to be able to taste some wines that um, are a little bit harder to come by and a little bit more expensive without you know going into a whole bottle purchase. So yeah, there's going to be plenty of opportunity um, to do things other than eat. There, there it's it's going to be. Um, we'll be focusing on local cheesemakers. And uh, another fun thing that we're going to be doing is using hams from the South and doing ham tastings um, from people like Benton's. And so we'll keep it in the vein of being local in the nature that it's, you know, it's this country. It's, It's stuff that's being produced here in the South. So in Appalachia. So everything's kind of colliding, you know, all over the place right now. So have diners come around to the notion of the smaller plate thing being used? I remember talking to somebody, I honestly can't remember who it was. It was in the restaurant business. This is three or four years ago. And he said, you know, it really hasn't caught on in Cleveland, but has it changed? You know what? I think it has. I think I, I really saw it the last um, year that we were open at the fig um, when people really had relaxed about COVID everybody was sharing everything. Now, maybe it was the offerings, you know, maybe we became more mindful about, you know, putting better things to share on the menu, but every, I mean, every table was full of plates and, you know, I, I, I think it's catching on. I think you, you know, you just have to know what people want, which is sometimes hard. So finally, I have to ask you, everyone's to each his own, of course, but you never went the Food Network route and all the books and the 10 restaurants, just not for you, not interested in that kind of thing? Not for me. Not for me. I, you know, I respect my, you know, my peers and my colleagues that have gone that route, Uh, you know, in particular, Michael, I've, you know, maintained a a great relationship with him over the years. Um, I I think I'm a little bit too much of a control freak to go away for that long. And um, I'm just not comfortable in front of the camera, regardless. Um, You can ask anybody who's tried to film me. (laughs) We're not calling her back next time. So (laughs) Um, yeah, but it's, I prefer to just be in my own little space and and keep things going here. So. So Juneberry is open. Do we have a target date for, uh, for the wine bar? We are hoping mid, mid to mid late summer. Before, okay. before, certainly before Labor Day. I guess that's what we're looking at now is Labor Day. So hopefully by August. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Let's it's hope it ambitious, happens. but yeah, we got our permits, so we're good. We're good. Great. Karen Small, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Good luck with the new Juneberry and with the wine bar on the way. It's a great pleasure having you join us today. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm Dan Paletta. We're glad you could join us too for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. We'll do this again very soon and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Mm-hmm.